Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. All right, I got to give a shout out to my patrons. Can we get Cody, Mr. Crab, can we get a little little sexy music under here? Maybe some <laughs> some revenue-free <laughs> royalty-free porno music. (laughs) Anyway, I want to send a shout out to our latest joiners. We have Townie, Brittany, Minnow, and Blossom, who have recently joined us on the peeper level. We have Joanna, J-Star, Anna, Amy, James, Marshall. We have Hadir, Copley, Woods, Scott J, Marty, Meg, JP, Eric, Killer B, 1973, Sarah, Esther, The Positivity Project, Andrea, DK, and Stephanie. I need to give an extra special shout out to Elizabeth Scott, who is one of my fly peeps. And the latest addition to the family coming in, in the champagne, I mean, I mean, sparkling water room, since we are a sober podcast. Healthy life. Healthy life, you have just essentially paid for like one and a half fucking podcast episodes. So, uh, yeah, you're awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you would like to be a patron and get a shout out and more importantly, help to offset and defray the costs of producing this podcast, please check me out on my Patreon link. Love you. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. I very much appreciate in my life that I have friends who are one or two generations older than I am. And this is especially helpful to me when I see that there are things that shift and change for people as they get older. And there's some stuff that fucking doesn't really change that much when folks get older. And one of the things that I want to talk about right now, as I sit here gazing over the River Danube in beautiful, uh, where the fuck am I? Budapest. I'm on the Buddha side looking at the Pest side. Did you know that they used to be two towns, one called Buddha and one called Pest? And then at some point they were like, we're going to be one town. And then they had to decide on a name and they voted and Budapest won over Pest Buddha. And the Pest people never really got over it. (laughs) Somewhere on some alternate timeline, I'm sitting in Pest Buddha. And it sounds so weird, doesn't it? But it could have happened that way. Anyway, what was I talking about? Yeah, watching folks who are older than me, who are chronologically ahead of me in the game, deal with life is fascinating because I sometimes think that maybe 
even at 53, almost 54, that I'm some sort of struggle bus doofus and I don't know how to handle my shit and when will I get better? When will I be mature? And then I see that there's some sorts of pain, there's some kinds of pain, there's some kind of emotional discomfort that no matter how old you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how well you cope, can sometimes come back to bite you in the ass. And this particular situation that I found so heartrending, but also so informative was of a couple who've been together for decades, probably as long or longer than I've even been alive. And in the past, there was infidelity and they worked through it. And now in the twilight of their lives, the one partner against whom the infidelity was committed is realizing that a lot of bitterness and a lot of sadness and a lot of rage is coming back after they thought that they had handled this, that they had dealt with this, that they had processed this, that they were over this. And I thought about immediately the feelings that I had had about some family shit, yeah, that some stuff that that I thought I was over, that I thought I had processed, that I thought I was past. And I looked at these folks who are just lovely, lovely older people and realized that one of them at least was still hanging on to that pain. Somehow it had not been fully processed. Somehow it had escaped a little bit of compassion, something that would have helped to let it go. And sometimes I just talk out of my ass. And what I said was, you know, pain wants to leave the body. Pain is there to provide information and then go. And it's designed to fade with time. And some pain doesn't fade with time. And I wonder, I wondered out loud if the pain that doesn't fade with time is pain that we're holding onto either consciously or unconsciously. And perhaps that's the reason why that pain comes back is because a part of us is still holding on to it. And what we need to do is not look at the pain, but look for the part of us that's still holding on to it. Look for the part of us that still thinks it needs that pain. My beloved spouse Meister is someone who is a survivor of incredible amounts of abuse. And I'm not going to go into it now, but Perhaps I will have him on the show and we'll talk about it with a whole bunch of trigger warnings. But one of the remnants of that is that it's very difficult for him to feel good, <laughs> you know, and if you know, you know, right? Some of y'all are sitting there like, yes, yes, talk about it, speak on it. I have a similar issue with not feeling like I'm perpetually in jeopardy. I know. I when you grow up in a household where there's always risk of emotional pain or emotional damage and you become someone like me who is hypervigilant and perpetually on the lookout for potential damage or potential harm or raised voices, or in the case of my father, he would break things. He never laid a hand on me, but he would break things, which was absolutely terrifying to me. And I remember the last time I saw him break something, it was not long before my parents had one of their first breakups. And it was around Halloween and we had a pumpkin that was sitting on the counter. And as he and my mother were going back and forth at it, he started 
playing with the pumpkin and sort of tossing it from hand to hand. And I was standing on the edge of the kitchen looking very anxious. And he finally turned and said, why are you staring at me? And I said, I'm worried you're going to smash the pumpkin, daddy. And he stopped and looked at me and turned around and put it down and then walked and sat on the couch. And after that, I don't remember him breaking anything, at least in front of me. So maybe that was impactful for him. But the reality is that for some people, having that emotional pain is just such a part of who they are that they don't know how to be otherwise. When I started my most recent bout of therapy and the therapist asked me about my history of anxiety, I was like, I don't know what life is like without that anxiety, without some degree of concern for my well-being. I don't know that I ever truly feel entirely wholly safe, at peace, relaxed, all of those things. And some of that is because of my history. And my dear beloved sometimes has a hard time letting go of his own pain and understanding that it's okay to be safe and it's okay to be happy, even if it's just for a fleeting moment. I noticed a pattern in the first few years of our relationship that if things were going too well, (laughs) suddenly he would be mired in anxiety about something else and coming up with these outlandish scenarios for potential disasters about things that were happening in life. And it wouldn't be that he was just having a day where he was blocked. It would be that he would never compose again. And what was he going to do with his life? Or if it had to do with an ex-partner that they were surely going to spend the rest of their breathing moments trying to destroy him. And for a couple of years, I couldn't figure out what the fuck to do with this. And then I realized I just had to be present and compassionate in the same way that I had to be present and compassionate with my own pain. It's hard to deal with emotional pain. We're not taught how to be sad or how to be angry. We're taught that those things are not positive and that we should strive to avoid them. But we're not often taught Unless we have a problem with our anger, for example, we're not often taught how to deal with it. Why isn't anger management something that we all learn? (laughs) I would love some anger management classes. Now, I haven't beaten anyone into a bloody pulp, but I sure have fuck have wanted to. Ah, gosh. Idea number 7,285. Anger management for everyone. (laughs) Seriously, I really think that that would be incredibly helpful. Hmm. But when I started thinking about emotional pain, I started thinking about how difficult it is for me to sit with sadness or anger or rage or even joy or, or ecstasy. It's so hard for me to sit with strong emotions and especially with emotional pain. As an alcoholic, this was something that I absolutely worked as hard as I could to avoid. It was one of the roots of my alcoholism, right? Avoiding pain. Don't be too angry. Don't be too upset. Don't be too anxious. And if you are, you know what helps? A few shots. And I got by for quite a while, pretty successfully as far as I thought, living life that way. But it takes its toll. An addiction is no fucking joke. And it's not... A fair trade-off.
for easing the pain of day-to-day life. And when I got sober, I realized I had to learn to deal with pain on its own terms. I had to deal with mourning and suffering on its own terms. And that was scary as shit because I was very terrified of my own emotions, completely convinced that if I fully felt my feelings, I would be consumed in a conflagration of rage that would take me over and wipe out everything within a 50 mile radius, like the predator had been blown up or some shit. (laughs) And then I started thinking about the fact that this is ironic, considering that as someone who plays in the realm of kink and BDSM, I have in the past actively sought out physical pain and discomfort. And then I started thinking about the differences between emotional pain and physical pain and the similarities, right? Because there's obviously differences. But I started thinking about the similarities. I started thinking about physical masochism and emotional masochism. I started thinking about the fact that for so many people, if things are too good, self-sabotage kicks in, right? And then suddenly we're fucking ourselves over in order to feel as bad as we know we deserve to feel. And how fucked up is that? But it's so fucking true, right? Like, I know that some of you are sitting there going, okay, you could have just sent me a DM. (laughs) You didn't have to air all of my business and read every single one of my beads right here on your podcast. Because you know, and you know when you do it. And if you don't have a handle on it, you can't stop it. When you see yourself self-sabotaging, when you see yourself denigrating yourself, when you feel that you are holding yourself back from a possible success because you're terrified of being successful, or you look for reasons why you can't possibly ever be happy, or this relationship will never work, or this job will end at any moment, and we're already sending out the energy that undermines us. Physical pain wants to leave the body. Physical pain is there to provide you with information. When we are in pain, it's the body's way of telling us something is up. Either something is critically wrong or there's a long-term issue. That's the purpose of pain. And then I started thinking about emotional pain. What's the fucking point of that? Is it telling us something is wrong? Is it telling us that that there's something that needs to be looked after? Yes. And yet, what do we often do? We often try to stifle it or drown it out when what we might be better served doing is stopping and sitting with it and saying, what do you need? The most profound and dense manifestation of pain that I have experienced to date was when I was getting sober and had this apparition, hallucination, manifestation, whatever the fuck you want to call it, of this hyena that was screaming at me to leave rehab and then followed me out screaming for a good six, eight, nine, twelve months, a year until I finally decided to do a little exercise where I sat and spoke to her and said, what the fuck do you want? And her response was, I want you to love me. And my response was, absolutely the fuck not. There's no way. I cannot do that. You're a fucking mess, A, B. You tried really hard to kill us. (laughs) 
And I'm not even about trying to do that shit. Are you crazy? But I had to start pulling that thread and say, gosh, what the ugliest, darkest aspect of myself has faced me and said that what it wants is to be loved. And I felt how much pain was present in that moment. And I felt how much hatred I had to myself. I was hating me. I was despising an aspect of myself that required love. And so I had to figure out a way to make a practice where I could sit and look at this dark, hideous, screaming, pained part of myself and love it and find a way towards love. And this is what pain is for. Pain in our hearts, in our minds, is there to let us know that something isn't right. And if our assumption is that we need to squash it and rid ourselves of it, we're missing out on a profound opportunity and we're setting ourselves up to have it come back, to have a resurgence of this pain months, weeks, years, maybe even decades down the line because we did not sit with it and listen to it and fully understand it. If we ignored pain in our bodies, if when we ignore pain in our bodies, we do so to our own detriment. I have seen this happen in my own family. This is the danger of being the quote unquote proverbial strong black woman is that you're so strong that you ignore the cries for help that your physical body presents because you're so accustomed to ignoring the cries for help that your spiritual and emotional and mental bodies project. That that pain in your side you ignore. That that ache in your foot you ignore. That that emptiness, that hollowness in your chest you ignore. And I have seen catastrophic illness and death in my own family because people ignored pain. Is there a way for us to just sit with our emotional pain and honor it and respect it and let it breathe and let it scream and let it bleed and just be present and not try to squash it and just try to sit with it? I'm looking at the anniversary of the death of my ex-boyfriend, Steve Wicks. What was terribly ironic about this situation is that we had been broken up for a few years when we reconnected and started talking again and found out while both of us had had our own very serious issues with alcohol, after we'd broken up, we had each individually gotten sober. And then when we reconnected, and realized we were both sober, we were laughing and thinking how amazingly cool that was and who we would have been in a relationship if we had stayed sober. But he had gotten married and had a little baby boy, and I was looking forward to reconnecting with him and catching up. I really wanted to talk to this man who I had loved so dearly and now thought maybe could be a really good friend in sobriety. Like both of us not having anything to drink and just being clear-headed and present. 
at the time I was going back and forth between San Francisco and New York. And I was back in the Bay Area and logged on to Facebook to send him a Facebook messenger. And as I clicked past his profile, I saw that there was an unusual number of postings on his page. He was usually pretty quiet. And I realized that the postings were all speaking about him in the past tense. And as I scrolled, I realized that the day before he had passed away. And as someone who is thanatophobic, thanatophobia being the fear of death, I was immediately paralyzed and ice cold and shaking and so badly freaked out. I didn't even know what to do. I felt nauseous. I couldn't really see. I was just, I picked up my phone. I wanted to call someone and talk to somebody and I, I didn't even know who to talk to. I started shaking and crying and I realized that this was the first person close to me who I had loved dearly, who I had found myself in my life, not family or anything like that, dearly close to me, who was dead. And the finality of that absolutely rocked my fucking face off. Okay, like I just fucking lost it. That pain was so profound. Even as I tell this and recount this moment, I feel it pulling in my chest like a cold vortex between my heart and my guts pulling me away. Most people in the course of their life lose folks. And in some ways, I mean, I guess that's just how it's supposed to be, right? Everyone says, well, death is a natural part of life. I do not accept that. And if there's anyone listening to this who is some sort of long-lived creature like a vampire or a werewolf, come and convert me. I'm down. I'm so ready. Oh, I would love to be at least semi-immortal. God damn, I would fucking love that. <laughs> but the incredible coldness, the pain that I felt, I had no idea even how to begin to sit with it. It just flattened me and took me out. And I guess that was really the best and only thing to do, which is to accept it on the terms that it appears. And those terms were incredibly fucking brutal and difficult. I was angry first and foremost. I was so pissed off. And then I was just so sad for his wife and his son, for all the folks in his life who would be even more profoundly impacted than I was. And then I thought about the friendship that we would never get to see, to experience. That pain I did not enjoy. That pain I still process. I'm still sitting with because of my own particular fears about death. But despite the inevitability, it's the not knowing part. I just, it pisses me the fuck off, you know. But sitting with that pain is important. And sitting with emotional pain is very critical. Do it while you can. One of the things that is challenging in my relationship with Gev Friedrich is that we process pain very differently. We process emotional pain at much different speeds. We process different types of pains in different ways. I very much understand immediately why I'm feeling something. And for him, it takes a while. And sometimes he grabs something 
can't process it, doesn't know what to do with it, puts it away, and then it springs back out days, weeks, months, even years later. And I'm over here like, what the, where the fuck did that come from? Because I'm not sitting on shit. I am not. I like, I am a do not go to bed full of rage human being. I need to deal with my shit ASAP on the spot immediately, right? I just, that's how I have to operate. I cannot let things sit and idle. Now I can have something that changes or shifts over time and then I can revisit it. But in terms of coping with it, I need to do my processing on the spot. And sometimes that difference in in pacing can be really jarring because I'm done with some shit. By the same token, his previous expectation of sadness and pain and horror in his life means that he seems to recover very quickly from things, right? This is one of the marks of a survivor of abuse. They get knocked down and they get up again. Can't keep them down, right? But then a part of them that's damaged is still down and you don't see it. And sometimes he doesn't even see it. As a masochist, people seek out pain, right? As a sadist, people want to give pain physically. I wonder if for some of us, emotional masochism is what encourages us to hold on real tight to our pain because it gives us something to tumble over at night, a sort of a prickly worry wart. Well, not worry wart. What is it? Worry stone? Worry rock? And those little shiny rocks that people would... Do they still have those? I mean, I guess they still have them. Rocks exist, you dumbass. <laughs> Just remember when I was a kid, you used to be able to go to these stores and buy what they call worry stones. I guess they were just the uh, sort of OG of stimuli devices, right? Something to do with your hands. But it was nice sometimes to have a smooth stone and then sometimes they would have like shit written on it, like hope or dream or joy or whatever. I just like the plain ones. I didn't like the texture of writing on there. (laughs) Why was I talking about this? Oh, yeah. Because we like to hold on to our pain like that, right? And pain serves a purpose, but all things have to shift. Change and growth is an entropy, right? Decay and growth are just built into the fucking system that we're fucking living in, in as much as the entropy part pisses me off. And yet, on some instances, we hold on so tightly to shit that we need to let go of. I know that there are some things I have held on to longer than I need to. My fear. I have an absolute terror of success. Terror of success that's so powerful that sometimes I cannot even hear good news. I opened my email today to get a bit of good news and then just stopped and backed off because I started building in problems. I got a new client, someone who wants to work with me under the Kink Doula umbrella. Check me out at www.kinkdoula.com. <laughs> and immediately I just started thinking, oh my God, what if I fuck this up? What if I miss an appointment again? What if they think I'm an idiot? What if I don't have anything smart to say? What if I say something that actually makes their life worse? Not even a moment of celebrating that someone is entrusting me. Not even a moment of saying, yes another person who's on board for the kink doula bandwagon immediately went to, this is why this is a problem. And then I stopped myself and said, you know what, bitch, you are going to fucking celebrate this shit if it kills you. (laughs) 
And that shit is so hard. Oh my fucking God. But I'm going to celebrate it because that's pretty fucking cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. We're all dealing with pain. We're all dealing with suffering. And in as much as you don't need to be an emotional masochist to embrace your pain, maybe take a few minutes and think for yourself today what's hurting you and see if you can hold that part of yourself that's struggling a little bit with that pain and hold it with compassion and love and no judgment. Your pain is not because you're weak. Your pain is not because you deserve it. Pain is information. I don't always know what my pain has to say, but I'm going to promise myself to try really, really hard to listen. I love you so much. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.